Welcome to Journey South Bay. Thank you for inviting us in to listen to God's Word. Take a moment to get comfortable, sit back, and relax as we listen to today's message. If you are able, please stand for the reading of God's Word. Genesis 17, 1 through 15. Oh, wait, this is not... When Abraham was 99 years old, the Lord appeared to Abram and said to him, I am God Almighty, walk before me and be blameless, and I may make my covenant between me and you and may multiply you greatly. Then Abram fell on his face and God said to him, Behold, my covenant is with you and you shall be the father of a multitude of nations. No longer shall your name be called Abraham, but your name shall be called Abraham, for I have made you the father of a multitude of nations. I will make you exceedingly fruitful, and I will make you into nations, and kings shall come before you. And I will establish my covenant between you, between me and you, and your offspring after you through their generations for an everlasting covenant to be God to you and your offspring after you. And I will give to you and to your offspring after you the land of your of your sojourners, all the land of Canaan for an everlasting possession, and I will be their God. And God said to Abraham, As for you, I shall keep my covenant, you and your offspring, after you throughout their generations. And this is my covenant, which you shall keep between me and you and your offspring after you. Every male among you shall be circumcised. You shall be circumcised in the flesh of your foreskin, and it shall be a sign of the covenant between me and you. He who is eight days old among you shall be circumcised, every male throughout your generations, whether born in your house or bought with your money from any foreigner who is not of your offspring. Both he who is born in your house and he who is bought with your money shall surely be circumcised, so shall my covenant be in your flesh an everlasting covenant. Any uncircumcised male who is not circumcised in the flesh of his foreskin shall be cut off from his people. He has broken my covenant. And God said to Abraham, As for Sarai, your wife, you shall, you shall not call her Sarai, but Sarah shall be her name. May God bless the reading of his word. You may be seated. Are we on? There we are. I'm sure you're listening to that going, how in the world is this applicable to my life? Uh, or please don't let it be applicable to my life. Look, one of the main reasons that people are Uh, would just sort of say that they're not religious or they would never be religious in life is because when uh, people experience uh, failure or their lives blow up personally, what they mean is uh, the last place I would ever think something can be done about that uh, is the local church. But one of the passions that I have for you is that this church would be a place where people can go through intense failure, intense uh, life circumstances that sort of blow up in their face and meet God in a personal, restorative way. I mean, what this text actually does for us is it teaches us in an incredibly profound way about how to deal with failure. For anybody, I mean, who, who feels like God has left them, you, in, you read chapter 16, And it says, when Abram uh, was 86 years old, Hagar had a baby. And then the very next verse, 
In the very next place, in chapter 17, verse 1, it says, when Abraham was 99 years old, which means there's 13 years between this failure and this moment where God appears to him. If you've ever had anything like that, where you feel like you've done something and God, has he abandoned me? Has he left me? What this text does for us is something incredibly intuitive that we need because when you go through failure, almost the intuition is to, is to want to run and to think that your problems, your pain, your circumstances will drive you away from God. But what this text does is maybe in a, um, a unique way is it actually drives Abraham deeper into the heart of God than he's ever been. And in fact, you, met, you and I probably know Abraham because of this moment. And you know what? It can be your moment. The fascinating thing about people who say, I, I, would, I could never be religious because the church can't handle failure, are living in a world that is increasingly judgmental and secular and more religious and tells you exactly what will happen to you if you fail. You, they will cancel you without a blink. But you know what? Here's what God does with your failure. He does three things. He reorients your identity. Secondly, he reestablishes your relationship. And thirdly, he gives you a sign. Here's what he does. First, he reorients your identity. Look, when you um, have a, a massive life blow up, Something comes up that's really broken personally or in a relationship. The first thing God wants to do is to reorient your identity, and it comes in two factors, and both of them have to be present. The first one is that you have to come to terms with who you cannot be. Uh, in verse 1, it says that God appears to Abram, and uh, he comes before him and, and communicates to him. And then it says in verse 3 that Abraham uh, responds by falling down in worship. Now, why? Look, this is not the first time God has appeared to Abraham. It's not the first time that he's said who he is. It's not the first time that he's even given promises to him. But there's something here that happens that blows Abraham's categories up. And here, here's what it is. When God appears to Abram, it's on the heels of, of the worst failure of his life. He had just heard God, or he had just seen God make this personal covenant with him. And then his wife comes to him and says, I don't think any of this is working out. You need to listen to me. And then they conspire to abuse and take advantage of this woman so they can take matters into their own hands. And on the heels of that, God comes to him, appears to him, and reestablishes his identity. And what it does for Abram is it just makes him fall down and says, who is a God like you? How can you come to me like this? Because here's what, is Ab what Abraham has that you and I have got to get in touch with. It's that he deeply believes that what he most wants in his life and what he most needs in his life can be forfeited through failure. Uh, Charles Taylor, um, the great philosopher, and, and many others have, have just said for the last 25 years that the West has worked, worked out identity and self-actualization in a way that no one else has ever done before. That the way that you and I think about how, who we are as a person is we say, hey, no one tells me what to do, no one tells me who I am, uh, I'm going to figure that out myself. And it seems so free 
and it seems so unconstrictive. But the way we, we do that, because we have thrown a God out of the picture, is we have said, I'm going to find out who I am through my accomplishments or through my relationships or through my sexual feelings or through uh, my social circles. And so many times it feels like it works until you have a failure. Because every time you fail in the way that you're trying to determine who you are in this world, it's not just a setback, it blows up who you are so that you don't go through the hard thing you have an identity crisis. I'll give you a perfect example of this. Um, you remember, uh, uh, let's see, it would be like 25 years ago now, um, Nancy Kerrigan and Tanya Harding controversy. If you don't know who that was, uh, they were the two of the best female figure skaters in the world and had a huge blow up at the 1994 uh, Olympic trials. And what happened was uh, Nancy Kerrigan was the best and Tanya Harding was the second best. And she and her crew were afraid that she was not going to qualify for the Olympics or that Nancy Kerrigan would get in her way of the gold. So they just decided to take her out. Well, everybody found out. The law got involved, prosecuted her. And at her trial, when she's meeting the judge and he's handing out the punishment for the whole conspiracy, he says, you're banned from skating for life. And here's what she said. She said, oh, judge, all I did was hinder prosecution. How, wait, you're never going to let me skate again? I mean, I'd rather do the jail time, please. They, as in the other people who conspired, they only got 18 months. They got 18 months. I'll do the 18 months. Please give me the 18 months, your honor. I don't have an education. All I know is skating. That's all I know. It's who I am. I am no one if I can't skate. I mean, I'm not some monster. I'm trying to do my best. It's like you're giving me a life sentence if you do that to me. See, everybody has got something in their life that they're trying to stand on. And it seems like it's working until you fail. And the problem is it's not just the failure, it's that there's no you left. See, if you're a parent and you try to build your identity on your children and they go astray, it won't just be heartbreaking, it'll be disorienting. And if they ever come back, you may not even be ready to, to take them in because you'll be so busy picking up the pieces, not just of your family, but of who you are as a person. And when God comes to meet you, what he wants to do is to say, that thing that you're standing on, that thing that you're trying to hold on to tell you who is you, that's got to go. But he doesn't just reorient your identity by telling you who you can't be. He tells you who you are. In verse 1, he comes to Abram. And, and, and th this is so different from how the world works. Because if you and I have a breakdown, we almost always wait for the person who broke it down to initiate the relationship. But it says, God doesn't wait. God appears to him and says in verse 5, your name shall no longer be Abram, but Abraham. Now, the name is, uh, changes is sort of subtle to us, but it would not have been uh, in the ancient Near East. I mean, the semantic difference is actually quite little, but the nature of it would have been huge to everybody else because in the ancient Near East, your name was not just a name. It was who you were as a person. It was your story. 
And so when God comes to Abraham and says, your name should no longer be this, it's this. He's saying, I'm going to tell you who you are. I'm going to tell you who your story is. And this is how God appears to almost everybody who fails. In Genesis 32, when God finally meets Jacob, who's the greatest of failures, and he meets him, the first thing he says to him is, your name shall no longer be Jacob. Now, that's profound because Jacob's name in the Hebrew is literally Yaakov, which means liar and deceiver. And he says, your name shall be Israel, which means God overcomes. In the New Testament, when Jesus meets Peter, who is the greatest of betrayers, he tells him, you will no longer be Peter, excuse me, you will no longer be Simon, but you will be Peter. That he's always coming and telling people, this is who you are. Now, why? It's because when you fail, when your life blows up, almost the first thing to go is a remembrance of who you were. Uh, I remember um, 12 years ago, uh, I think it was, uh, Tiger Woods, when his life blew up in front of all of us in the news, and he finally came and made uh, an announcement and communicated to everybody about what had gone on in his life, one of the things that he said is, while all of this was going on, I forgot who I was. And when God comes to you, he says, I know that the recurring theme, the thing that you always forget, is yourself. And so what I'm going to come is I'm going to come minister right into the circumstances. When, when you and I screw up, what do we, what do we say? We don't say, Alex, you know, that was such a bad idea. You say, I'm a loser. I'm an idiot. To the point that we make the mistake our identity. And we start thinking of ourselves only in terms of that mistake. And what you have to do is that when you're in the midst of a mess, you have to have an identity that is more grounded and more secure than your circumstances, or else you will always be thinking of yourself in terms of that mistake, that you may even call yourself that. But what God does is He comes to Abraham and says, listen, you will no longer be known by that mistake that you made with Sarah. You will be known by my promises in my work. You will be known as the father of many nations, which is what I will do through you. Look, if you say you're a Christian, do you know what this means? It means that your story and your life is not determined by your circumstances, by what you accumulate in this world, and nor is it known by your failures and your mistakes. Your story and your identity in this world is grounded and secure in one thing, who Jesus is and what he did for you. And you say, I stand on that, and that's who I am. And when God comes to you in your failure, he does not want to come and point out all of the horrible things that you've done first. What he first wants to do is to say, you must know who you are, which is my child, and built on my promises. But after he comes to reorient your identity, he wants to reestablish his relationship with you. He doesn't just want to give you a name and say, good luck. He wants to rebuild the whole relationship. And the way he does this, it has sort of two angles as well. And they both come from verse 1. When he says this, Abraham, I am God Almighty. 
walk before me and be blameless. He says to walk and to be blameless. Now, when he says walk, this is a really profound command because um, Abraham has just ignored and suppressed this covenant. And God doesn't come and passive aggressively, you know, just shame him, put him in the corner, or put him on the back of the bus and says, we're going to slow back into this relationship. Now, when he says walk, it, th- this is the most profound metaphor that the Bible gives us for what it means to have a relationship with God. Because w- what a walk does is it establishes both the, the proximity of a relationship and the length of a relationship. I mean, when, when, if, if I don't run as much anymore because I get shin splints really bad, but, but um, I was just in Colorado a couple weeks ago, and uh, one of my friends were going for a run. And um, I, I can run a couple miles, no problem, but we're also in Denver, a mile up in the air, and we're, we're jogging, and he's just asking me about my life and my children. And this is one of my best friends, and all I'm thinking is, shut up. Like, let, let's, I cannot talk and do this. I'm just trying to survive the oxygen problem right now. But when you walk, what happens? You personally connect with somebody. You're sharing your story. You're hearing how somebody's doing. You're connecting in a very profound, personal way. And when God comes back to Abram, Look, he doesn't do what most relationships do for us, which is look at us and say, okay, because of what's happened, this is really challenging, and we're going to go slow. And you know what? Things may never be the way that they were, but you and I should try. He actually comes back and gets closer and more intimate. When he gives God, Abraham the promises in verses 5 and 6, Look, this is not the first time that God has shared promises with Abraham, but this time he gives him the promises in a greater content, in a more profound way. He's told Abram, you're going to be a father and you're going to have a son, but here he says, you're going to be the father, not just of a nation, but of many nations. And he says, your, your offspring will not just be one boy, it will be exceedingly fruitful which means God comes to Abraham and says, not just come be with me, come be with me in a greater degree and to a greater level than you've been before. See, here's how you know you're in a relationship with the real God and not a fabric of your imagination, is when you screw up and you're in dark sin, you can come back to the same degree or even a greater degree than you've ever been with God. See, what what pain and brokenness and sin will do is to say, there's no way I can go to worship today. There's no way I can go to small group today, not in light of what I did. I would be such a hypocrite. God, God would be like, what are you doing being here? But God comes to Abraham and says, look, walk with me. Be with me in a way that you've never been before. And he says, walk with me and be blameless. Now, what does it mean to be blameless? Um, The Hebrew word is the word tamin. It doesn't mean to be without sin and to never screw up. 
To be blameless is to be whole, to be complete. And what he's saying is walk with me, not without any mistakes, but walk with me holistically. That is, walk with me every part of your life. Uh, Old Testament professor Bruce Waltke, he says this, that what God uh, here is after is for Abraham to orient all of his life around God's presence, promises, and demands. He says, all of your life, I want you to share with me. I want you to communicate with me. I want you to talk with me. I want you to be with me. How far, to what degree, what he tells us with this example, when he brings up circumcision to the most intimate parts of your life. I mean, Abraham had to hear that and be like, God, can't we just shake hands? How about a hug? Um, Anything casual. But what he is saying is the place. Now, Now, follow me here. The intimate place where you just screwed up with this woman, Hagar, I want that part of you. I want the most intimate parts of you connected to me and to be holistically repaired again. I mean, see, when you and I go to God, if you've not been spiritual lately, or this has been distanced from you, we almost always go to God for circumstances. We almost always go, Lord, this thing in my life is overwhelming, and I don't know how to fix it, and I'm, I'm stressed, and I'm worn out. Please enter in. But when God comes into your life, what He does is He goes after the thing that you'll never bring up, the thing that you've never told anybody about, the thing that's been a secret, the thing that you've kept to yourself, the thing that you're afraid if somebody brings up and goes after, you will not be loved anymore. And he says, I want to talk to you about that. I want to bring that up. And some of you are immediately unnerved by that and terrified. But here's the thing. If you won't let God go after the most intimate part of your life, you know what that means? It means every relationship in your life will be fake from here on out. Because you will have this, your life will be an act. It will be something that, you know, it seems like it's it's working on getting better, but there's this one thing where you say you can't have this, you can't go there, you can't talk about this. And it means Everybody knows you as this way, but you know yourself as something else, and you'll never have that intimacy that God wants to give you. And the way that he wants to know you is he says, I want you to give me everything so I can make you holistically redeemed. He says, walk with me and put this relationship back together. when When you meet God in your failure... He says, I want to tell you who you are. I want to reorient your identity, and I want to reestablish our relationship. But thirdly, he says, I know that you're going to have a hard time with this, and you won't believe me, so I'm going to give you a sign. See, what, what will help you reorient relationship and know this is if you have something to look at outside of yourself. Look, almost everybody in a spiritual crisis 
when you feel like you ought to get back together with God and you ought to repair part of your life, you, you think this, I've got to get it together. Or I've got to really take you seriously now, God. I, I'm, this time I'm serious. And, and, and I never want to squash out a desire that anybody has to want to give themselves to God, but that's a dangerous prayer. And here's why it's a dangerous prayer. Because in the midst of your failure, if you feel like it's you who's got to get it back together, you know what you're doing? Is that you're relying on yourself to be a part of this relationship and to be whole again. And the problem with that is that you're a living sacrifice. And Steve Brown always says, you know what the problem with a living sacrifice is? Is you're always crawling off the altar. And you'll never be on that enough. Abraham had to ask, Lord, how in the world can you be faithful to my family in the midst of my unfaithfulness? How can you be faithful to that? And so to restore him, what God says in verse 10 is he says, in your flesh, this is my covenant between me and you and your offspring. Be circumcised. Now notice this. He doesn't say, this is our covenant. He says, this is my promise. You wear my promise. You cut it on your body so that you have something permanent on you that you have to almost look at daily and be reminded about how aggressively passionate I am about restoring you and being in relationship with you to the point of shedding blood, that you have something that you look at that's not your commitment to me, but it's my commitment to you. You, you, you know what? He's, he's giving Abraham, it, it, it's a bit like a wedding ring. Some people uh, mistake a wedding ring as, um, you know, if, if you're out somewhere and somebody uh, hits on you and you're married and you're like, ah, I can't, you know, and, and you kind of flash your ring. And sort of what people think you're saying is, uh, I'm committed to somebody. But that's not what a wedding ring is. But a wedding ring is not your commitment to somebody else. It's somebody else's commitment to you. Do you remember at the wedding ceremony? I mean, you, you don't take the ring and put it on your own finger. The officiant says, take the ring and put it on the other person's finger and say this vow. This is a token of my pledge and love and constant faith. And what God is saying is, you wear my promise. You wear my sign. And you know, in the church today, we don't typically practice that particular sign, though most of our medical culture does, because we have a better sign. Colossians 2, 9 and 10, it says this, for in him the whole fullness of deity dwells, and you have been filled in Christ, who is the head of all rule and authority. In Christ also you were circumcised with a circumcision made without hands, putting off the body of flesh by the circumcision of Christ. It says the gospel is God's circumcision of all of your sin and his pledge 
through the shedding of blood to make you his. You know what it means for you to be, what Paul, this is a weird claim to make. This is what Paul says, you've been circumcised in Christ, male, female, all alike. And you know what that means? It means God did something more permanent, more permanent than the cutting off of your skin to make you his. Look, when you're in the depths of your failure, one of the things the New Testament says that you will do is if you move away from God, you will start to become the thing that made you fail. When it talks about people who will have nothing to do with God, it says idolaters, you know, uh, uh, people who are greedy. It never says their name. And it's not just these things that they did, it's who they are. It's as if we get to the point of resisting God, pursuing us to redeem our failure to the point that the thing that we failed with is not just a part of our story, it is our story and it's our name. And what you have to do is this thing that you're terrified that no one can handle, you have to stop letting that thing be you. You have to stop letting that thing be your story. And you say, that's not my story. That's not who I am. God has said who I am in Jesus and has told us who we are as a body of people who are forgiven. And that those things are not my story, but this is my story. Do you, uh, have you ever seen the musical, um, The Man of La Mancha? You know, uh, it comes from the great novel Don Quixote. It's about uh, this, this man who comes and meets this woman, Alfonso, or excuse me, Aldonza, who's a prostitute and dirty and her life is down, out, riddled with pain, riddled with ostracization, living in loneliness, living in pain. And Don Quixote, for no reason anybody can understand, just pursues her and wants her. And they have a song that they sing together where he, 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 actually what he does is he changes her name from Aldonza to Dulcinea. And they have a song where he keeps calling her Dulcinea. And you'd think that when he calls her this, she would be like, this is so great. But she hates it because she's afraid. So the song goes like this. She says, take the clouds from your eyes. See me as I really am. I'm a no one. I am nothing. I am only the whore. I'm only this brokenness. I'm only this story. I'm only this thing that has ruined my life. And Don Quixote responds and says, did my lady think to put me to a test? Ah, sweet sovereign of my captive heart, I shall not fail thee. For I know I see heaven when I see thee, Dulcinea. And thy name is like a prayer, an angel whispers, Dulcinea, Dulcinea. I have sought thee, sung thee, dreamed thee, Dulcinea. Now I have found thee, and the world shall know thy glory. Do you know what the cross of Jesus Christ is? It is God's stamp across the universe as a foolproof sign 
that you can look to every time in your failure to know that when he looks at you, he will not call you by your sin, but he will call you my child. And when I'm done with you, the world shall see your full glory. Now, don't you want to be a church that takes people in failure and lets them know that instead of boring religion? Amen. Let me pray. Father, we don't want to be just another stop for people who have their life together and hurts and stomps on people who are struggling. Lord, the gentleness and the kindness with which you came to Abraham and called him by his true name and told him who he really was and just said, walk with me. Lord, would you help us walk with people? Bring them back into a greater degree of intimacy than they've ever known with you. Would you overcome their fear and their self-righteousness that keeps them out? And would you help us be a church, Lord, that embodies your tenderness to Abraham here? It's in Jesus' name we pray, amen. If you enjoyed this message, we invite you to subscribe to the RSS podcast feed. This will let you know when a new message has been posted. You can also look for us on YouTube, Facebook, or Instagram at Journey South Bay. Until next time, God bless.